and welcome to The Franchise Life. I am your host, Stacey Shannon. Today, we have a fun and fresh brand with us that we're featuring called Capital Tacos. And Capital Tacos is headquartered out of Florida. And with me, I have one of the co-founders who is Josh Luger. Welcome, Josh. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Did I pronounce your last name right? You did. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, welcome. So I am excited to have this brand um, in our portfolio of brands within IFPG. Um, you know, we don't get many food and beverage brands that offer multiple business models and, you know, are really at a good investment price point. So before we dive into Capital Tacos, do you mind sharing a little bit about yourself and what your story is leading up to this new franchise system? Sure, absolutely. Um, So, you know, started my career uh, in finance and investment banking um, and, you know, got a really good kind of introduction into uh, the world of business and how to kind of look at different businesses and different business models. Um, you know, I like to say investment banking or finance is a great kind of introduction to the world of business. Uh, and then once you do it for a few years, you're kind of faced with the decision, I'd say, of um, do you want to keep going down that path or do you want to kind of take that application and go into the business world? So for me, uh, it was a very clear answer. I wanted to kind of use those tools and that background knowledge, but always wanted to kind of go into the direction of biz- operating and being in business myself. Um, and so after that, I took a few different jobs, kind of worked in corporate development at a media company, um, you know, for um, uh, a gentleman named Robert Albritton, who owned a bunch of media properties in Washington, D.C., um, sold off a bunch of local TV channels. Uh, he founded Politico, and I was there during the years where that got built up. That eventually got exited for a billion dollars. The TV channel sold to Sinclair Broadcast Group for $985 million. So, you know, I was in corporate development there and business development, really trying to help grow businesses and, and um, understand what kind of drives growth in business from the inception all the way up to the growth stages and all the way to its kind of exiting. And so that was a great experience. Uh, and then I kind of wanted to get my hands a little bit dirtier. So I started going into more of the startup world, worked for a few media startups, really again, business development, marketing side. So um, it kind of got out of the corporate suite and got out of the suit and really started getting my hands a little bit dirtier, building you know business units from scratch. Uh, worked for companies such as Business Insider, which eventually sold to a, a German media company, Axel Springer, for close to $400 million. And uh, so it helped found and be part of, um, you know, different respects, a lot of successful businesses in the kind of the media uh, world. Um, and then, you know, my last job in kind of the startup world, I met a gentleman named James Marcus, uh, who's now my partner in Capital Tacos, and he's also a serial entrepreneur. Um, you know, one of the things I started doing on the side was... Uh, doing a New York City dining newsletter. So kind of taking my uh, media background and my passion for food uh, and kind of channeling it that way. Uh, James had had the experience of owning, owning a bottling company as one of the various things he was involved with. He likes to say he invented the first ever ghost kitchen um, back in college. He founded something called Underground Chicken where he got kind of leftover chicken from the cafeteria to get them to give it to him for a very low price. Rented a basement space with some fryers hired a few delivery people uh, and had a, had a business there during college. So both of us had, you know, same kind of background, started in, in finance, uh, had gone off on our own and done some entrepreneurial things, um, but always had been tangentially involved or had involvement with the food and beverage space, but really where we had a passion. So um, we got together and we said, 
you know, we wanted to kind of do something in the food and beverage space and, and really, um, you know, the goal was to do something kind of special and something that ultimately could be scalable down the road and something that we could business opportunity we could share with a lot of folks. And so, um, you know, Capital Tacos came about, um, you know, as something that, um, you know, going back 10 years ago, uh, you know, one of the things that still excites me about Tex-Mex, but back 10 years ago, we viewed it as completely wide open, right? So you think about the burger category, um, there's a lot of brands we can name that have been around a long time. You look at Tex-Mex, I really think, you know, one side you see Taco Bell, another side you see Chipotle. And we just thought there's a ton of space in the middle for something that's doing something that's, you know, Tex-Mex, a little bit different than that, high quality. Um, and so kind of Capital Tacos came about that way. Um, there's a gentleman who started it and we kind of teamed up with him about a year into it. Um, and we kind of immersed ourselves in the food and beverage space. Um, we knew there was a great product there, but before we kind of really wanted to put the gas on real growth, whether it's corporate stores inside our home market or eventually where we're at now with franchising, we, you know, went to hundreds and hundreds of fast casual restaurants across the country, read hundreds of books, studied financial reports, went to, you know, we spent days in Texas where we go to 40 or 50 taco shops, really understand what made us unique in the space, you know, where people succeed in fast casual, what were business models that were working, but also really learn and bring our own kind of thoughts to bear and our own experience of how can you do things a little bit differently. Um, and I think it's one of the benefits of not being a lifer in the space of, of food and beverages. We got a, had an outsider's perspective and we were able to bring that into the food and beverage space and come up with a bit of a unique business model and a little bit of a unique product. So that's kind of the backstory and how we got here. And, you know, we started, uh, we got involved in Capital Tacos around 2015. So it's been seven or eight years right now. And we've been building up the company to the point where we launched franchising last year, opened our first franchise last year, sold a few more, and now we're talking to a lot more folks about growing that. So that's kind of the my background and history and what led me to Capital Tacos. Wow. I love how your background, I mean, it lends itself so nicely because when I talk to individuals who want to make the jump into business ownership, they're like, well, I don't have the background or, you know, I've, I've never been a business owner, but clearly it was all those skill sets that you honed working in the corporate world and for different individuals that have lent to your success today as a business owner and now as a franchisor. So congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, look, everyone I think has a unique skill set and no one has every skill in the world. And so, you know, going into business, you really, you know, you need to be, I think, you know, recognize what your skills are, what you need to supplement and complement them with um, and um, be ready to take that plunge. And so I think certain one, certain folks, once they start thinking about going into the business world, you kind of already know it's probably right for you. It's really a question of how you set yourself up for success, who you work with, who you lean on. And so, um, you know, once you get that bug, once you start asking that question, you know, it's really about uh, jumping in and figuring out how to jump in and where and, and who you look to for help to, uh, as you do that. Now, that's a great point. So uh, based upon visiting hundreds of Tex-Mex uh, restaurants, you must be a connoisseur because that's a heck of a lot of eating. <laughs> yeah, I have to say that's, wow, that's a lot of food. That's the tough part of the job for sure. Um, but you know, we had a very simple test. So we were out in Texas and we go to dozens of spots a day. You know, we'd want to, you know, take pictures of every menu, you know, order everything. And then the bar we had is if 
you want to take a second bite of something, we knew there was something special there, right? Normally, you're just taking one bite out of a taco. You think, I get it. But man, if you want to take a second bite, that's how you know, hey, this, this place is doing something special. I like it. Awesome. All right. So you mentioned, so today where you stand is you have seven corporate locations that are up and running. Six more are soon to be opening in the next few months. And those are even outside of the Florida demographic. And you have three franchisees. That's correct. So what has your experience been like to date learning about the franchise world? Because running corporate locations um, is a whole different animal than being a franchisor and offering that opportunity up to other individuals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, certainly there's an overlap. I mean, it's, we're serving it's Capital Tacos Foods, Capital Tacos brand, but in, in many ways, as you said, they're entirely different businesses. And, you know, we knew what we wanted to do is, you know, before we franchise, we had to prove the scalability of the model to ourselves. We had to work through, you know, the tech stack, uh, operational guides and manuals, uh, prove out that we could have multiple locations that are successful, go to a secondary market and prove out we could be successful there. Um, so we did all those things. And so, you know, looking out to the franchising world, um, you know, certainly what we knew going in, what excited us about it was, you know, working with other entrepreneurs, other business people. I mean, at, at, at our core, that's who James and I are. Um, it excites us to work with folks who are similar minded, right? But obviously, as you said, in a lot of ways, it's a learning experience. And that's what we really pitch. We talk to our franchisees, and we truly view you as partners. Um, you obviously have a lot to learn from us. That's kind of why you're buying into our system, but we also have a ton to learn from them. So our first franchisee is a gentleman uh, or a couple named Bill and Alicia Hoops. They have two other partners, but Bill and Alicia are the operating partners. And, you know, they're just fabulous people. I mean, they are former Bill's in the Marine, uh, sorry, the Navy for 16 years. Uh, him and his wife are former school teachers in the community. So, you know, working with them has been an amazing experience, right? And we learned a ton from them, right, in terms of how they ingrain themselves in the community, how they market themselves. I mean, Bill has another business it's you know he has the girl, largest girls softball tournament tournament league uh in the southeast um so he has an entrepreneurial spirit right so he's pushing us all the time um on how could we do more how could we you know what innovative things we can do and so it's really you know and that's how we view these relationships and one of the exciting things has been is that um we're learning a lot every day right we have a lot to give franchisees but we want franchisees in our system to know that we view them as thought partners you know, we truly feel what's going to make us successful, what has made us successful and will make us successful as we grow, is bringing all the benefits of being a big company, whether it's best-in-class tech stack, best-in-class food, a known brand that consistently gets, you know, more and more coverage and press and buzz, and people get excited when you come to a market. But it's, you get the best of that, but the, also the best of staying local, right? We want folks that are leaders in their community who know what their community needs most, right? So our goal is to be an asset to the community. So we work backwards and say, hey, we don't live in your community. So whether it's Loveland, Colorado, we're opening soon or Trinity, Florida, you know, the franchisees live there, they're operating there. So we want, we're going to give you tried and true marketing tactics that have worked for us, but we're also going to tell you, be upfront with, we don't know every single thing that makes your community tick. And part of the way you're going to ingratiate yourself in community, you might have the best brand, the best food, but we want you to tell us, Hey, these are some ideas that, that you have to make the product more localized, to make the marketing more localized, to be more effective in your community. So with that kind of mindset, we're absolutely learning things from franchisees every day. We want them to pitch their ideas of a food product that may work in their town that will work through our R&D kitchen or a marketing tactic that may work. And so um, generally speaking, it's super 
exciting for us as business people to be working with other business people who have that passion, have that desire, never want to give up. No matter how well they're doing, they want to do better. They want to think about the next thing. Um, and it's, it's energizing. It's invigorating. So obviously, you know, you got to manage franchisees. You got to make sure you kind of funnel those ideas and funnel them in an appropriate way. And so um, that experience of operating as a franchisor certainly, as you said, been a learning experience, very different than than opening corporate stores. But it's been something that we that we you know thoroughly enjoy uh, working with folks. And I've definitely learned a lot along the way so far. Yeah, a couple things that you said that made a huge impression on me is one that you guys tested out everything, the replicatability of the business model, because so many times I see emerging brands come to market and may not even have one corporate location or just have one. And that is that's risky for somebody, you know, to invest in because they haven't proven out that replicatability. Um, So, you know, remarkable for you guys. But then also the other thing was the fact that you recognize that each location has a different culture, although the essence of the brand remains the same, that you are willing to work with those individual business owners and see them as thought leaders and so forth to bring back feedback. And that's something where, you know, I I said this recently, you're in business for yourself, but not by yourself. And that's really the beauty of the franchise model. So let's dive into, um, you know, what really captured not having had the pleasure of tasting the food yet. Uh, one thing that really appeals to me is that you have three different business models. So can you kind of just break down those different models and share if when you get to like the food truck one, um, is that can somebody do that only without a storefront? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, working backwards, I guess working down to how we develop those business models, um, so one of the things that we that's been in our DNA, and I said taking a little bit unique coming from outside the food and beverage world, one of the questions we had was, why does everyone pay a million dollars to open a restaurant? Do, do you really need a million dollars to open a restaurant? Um, and the answer we found is no. So what we've had success doing um, is going into second generation restaurants. So those are restaurants that have already been built out, already been operating as restaurants that for whatever reason, the prior operator has failed. So it could have been a mom and pop that you know just didn't succeed and took the risk and you know, bites the bullet like 90% of first-time restaurateurs do. Could be a chain that a certain franchisee couldn't make it work and decide to pull the plug. It could be, uh, you know, a big corporate company that decided, hey, we want to move two blocks down the road. So a lot of our locations are former Five Guys locations. I'm sitting in right now our Winter Park location in Orlando is a former Moe's location. Um, From day one, we've been able to succeed in second-generation restaurants where others have, for whatever reason, either failed or decided to move to a separate location. So what that does, it allows us to open restaurants in a range that's a fraction of the cost of what any other franchise or corporate store of any other concept that I know of can open. Um, our range, we can say, is anywhere from, depending on the condition of the space and some certain you know design choices you may make, anywhere from 250,000 to the high threes, you can get fully open, right? Um, and um, you know, fully, as we have to say, capitalize the space. So all the design, the look and feel, the paint, you know, it looks like a Capital Tacos. We put our, our bright lights out front, and so. Um, the starting point in the core business model that we have for one of the three that you mentioned is a brick and mortar business model, traditional store, but building it for a fraction of the cost and a fraction of the time, right? So that's the other thing right now with 
you know, construction costs, construction delays, permitting delays. The day you sign, you might sign a franchisee agreement to finding a location, building a location. If you're another concept, that could take you easily take you 18 months, if not more. And, you know, your cost range, you have no idea what it could be because, you know, building costs very fluctuate between 12 and 18 months in the future. So our model, the core brick and mortar business model is look for second generation restaurants. We specialize in being able to find them. We have networks of brokers and we know what to look for. And um, we have relationships with different landlords. And so, um, you know, you got to look for them. You got to hunt for them. But we help franchisees do that. We help them negotiate the leases. And so that's the core brick and model business model for us is you could open for a fraction of the cost of it, really, any other restaurant out there and a fraction of the time um, to get open. So Bill, for example, signed his franchise agreement, I think in April or May of last year, he was open by November. Um, so, you know, that's that's a pretty quick turnaround. So that's the core, uh, you know, uh, and it's important to us, right? It's not only important to us because, you know, obviously any dollar saved is a dollar saved and a dollar earned. But when you think about our concept, you think about who we wanna make ourselves available to, and this filters through all three of our business models, is we purposely wanted to make this offering approachable to folks who are going to be owner operators. We did not want an offering out there to be exclusive. Look, you got to be a millionaire already to access our concept. That's not who we want to talk to, right? Um, if you're interested, of course, and you have an operating partner, you know, not to say we're not going to talk to people that have that net income, but even those people, you know, probably prefer to open a business for a quarter of the cost if they can, right? But we didn't want to exclusively make ourselves available to those folks. In fact, what we wanted to make ourselves available to are people who have worked their way up in various industries, including potential the food and beverage industry, who have saved up a nice amount of money, but potentially not a million dollars, or can access that amount of money through SBA lending, it's much more reasonable, um, and make it accessible, right? Make it accessible to people who are gonna be operators, who are gonna be in the store, who are gonna work hard, who are gonna care about our brand um, and really representing it locally, right? So um, it was very important for us to make sure that this opportunity is being shared with the right people and making it open and accessible to people. And that's that's key fundamental principle that we brought into our franchising business model. So that's the brick and mortar, that's one third of the model. But then we said from there, look, there are other ways to be successful. And some people don't even have the 250 or 350 or don't wanna invest that much before they see some success. And so what we've also made available is um, models that to your question, do not require brick and mortar capital to start. So the second tier is you can have a permanent trailer location. So one of the locations that we have, uh, up in Brooksville, Florida, is a trailer that that we built under two hundred thousand dollars. We go to uh, landlords there who have big shopping centers, and there are a lot of them across Florida and across the country where they have a lot of empty space. And we go right on the road. We put our trailer up there. We pay basically a very you know low rent, which is incremental income for a landlord. That's you know not income that they're typically having. Someone say, hey, let me plop plop up in the middle of take five of your parking spots when you have five hundred get incremental revenue from there. We, you know, and we've made it a self-sufficient trailer that um, is doing quite well. And so the benefit of that is not, a, not only a lower entry point, but you operate it with a much smaller team. In fact, if you're ambitious enough, you could be kind of a solo operator. Our tech, tech allows for, you know, an iPad to kind of take all the orders and you can make them. I mean, so you might have a team from anywhere from zero additional people to two or three. So it allows, you know, a lower cost of, of entry, allows a much lower fixed rent that you have to deal with every month much smaller team to build. And so one of the paths is you could start there. You could be perfectly happy with that, or you could use the profits from that and hopefully work your way up to a brick and mortar. Um, and then a third tier that we have is, is kind of even more accessible than that. We call it an event trailer. So something that, that is built to move, not necessarily being a fixed location. It's even smaller than the permanent trailer location. And that's something that we've seen a ton of success with. 
Um, again, Bill, our first franchisee, has an event trailer, and he goes out around all around Tampa and outside of Tampa. There's tons of events where people want high quality tacos. We do everything from tacos, nachos, great unique, you know, handcrafted desserts. You know, whether it's Teacher Appreciation Week, which is coming down here in Florida next week, and you show up and serve all the teachers, or a wedding or a four day festival with tens of thousands of people. Um, you know, you can go out there. We'll help you find what event, how to how to basically market yourself and find those events. Um, and that is an entry point that's you know uh, under six figures, right? And so the idea is is that we want to make this successful, give people multiple entry points. If you want to do just one of them, we're happy to support you. We think you could build a thriving business off of that. Another benefit of being the event trailer is it doesn't even have to be a full time engagement. You know, if you want to have the trailer, work it on nights and weekends while you have another job, you could keep your income coming in, and this is supplemental, right? Uh, and so these are access points to either supplement income or start building your own capital tacos empire, but work your way up. Um, and if someone's comfortable with a lower level of investment, you know, fine, go for that, right? So it was really important to us in general to have an accessible business model, not have entry points that are that that leave a lot of lot of people out that we wanted to talk to. But even within that, we want to have multiple entry points and say, look, wherever you want to start, wherever you're comfortable with starting, we're happy to help you start there and, and you know work your way up if that's what you want to do. Yeah, and I think that's a big differentiator for you as well, because I there are other brands out there that have a storefront and then offer like an event trailer type concept. But uh, the ones I'm aware of are tied to having a brick and mortar location. So it does not allow for the investment at the lower levels, you know, for of entry to be in just an event uh trailer owner or your static location in, like you said, the mall space. Um, so the total investment range for those models that we just discussed is between 100, pretty much between 129,000 and 427 at the high end. So that really encompasses that wide range of the three business models. Um, okay. So in your marketing, uh, you you say you're a scratch kitchen, and this is something I've always really wanted to better understand. I mean, to me, it means, you know, it's fresh food, it's locally sourced perhaps, but what does scratch kitchen mean? So it's a great question, uh, and it's especially a great question in this day and age because um, I won't name any concepts out there, but you, know, you have concepts where maybe 100% of the food or 90% of the food they're using, it's like frozen, comes in bags, and people use like hands to like drop it from a bag to a fryer and they'll say their food is handcrafted, right? So we're living in a time where everyone's calling their food fresh. Everyone's saying their food is handcrafted. People are very liberal. There's a lot of white noise out there, let's say, right? Um, people are very liberal with talking about their food being fresh or high quality. So I can talk to what it means for us. So for us, we say a true scratch kitchen. What it means is we make everything from scratch in-house every single day in our restaurant. So let's say before the sun is up, before you're out commuting to work, we're in our kitchens prepping for the day. So prep for us starts at 6.30 or 7 in the morning. We have dozens of homemade recipes, dozens of ingredients. We work with 12 different proteins in-house. We are butterflying the chicken. We're braising. We're marinating. We're, we're doing all sorts of things. So we serve everything from steak to chicken to chorizo to uh, fried fish to grilled shrimp, to fried shrimp. Right. So all of our proteins are being cut in-house, cooked in-house every day marinated in original marinades that we make in-house, making our own sauces, making our own toppings. Um, so 
we have a chef created menu. When you come in, it's not come down the line and say, Hey, I want some, this, some, put some sour cream cheese on this. No, we have what we call chef created flavor profiles. There's, you know, a protein or two proteins on each one, six or seven unique toppings that we all make in house. And so what it truly means is like for, for us, like fresh is like, you know, check the box. Number one, high quality ingredients is number one, but what it really means is we're doing the work in the kitchen. Nothing's things aren't like coming in bags that we then just drop in a fryer. I mean, you know, everything you get is a result of multi-layered original recipes that are being actually executed in our stores every single day. And so um, that's what a scratch kitchen means for us. And we extend that to, we actually grill items to order. And so when you come in, we have open kitchens. Every one of our restaurants has an open kitchen. You see it. I'm not just saying that we're showing it to you. The, the show is there. You get, so you get, you get the show as well as the food. You order it, we're firing it up on the grill. And so you're seeing it come to life that way. Um, and so that's what it means for us. And so for us, we have dozens of homemade recipes, dozens of homemade ingredients. We're working in the kitchen all day, every day um, to deliver, you know, the unique taste and food that we do. And so the important thing is, is that what we've done is really made it so in a way where there's not a single step in a recipe that is extraneous that doesn't need to be there. There's not a single ingredient that doesn't need to be there. So one of the, a lot of the questions we get is, you know, that sounds great. I love the idea of delivering like the absolute best, most inventive textbooks out there, but I'm not a lifelong restaurateur. Is it going to be too hard for me? Well, I point back to our first franchisee, Bill. I mean, he had experience as a teenager working at McDonald's, but not not much more than that. So really no restaurant experience, true restaurant experience, working, operating a restaurant. Uh, and he's, you know, within 60 to 90 days, he was able to, you know, there's no support from corporate anymore. He went through a training program, but he basically taught himself. So nothing we do is rocket science. It does take some work. You got to be in the kitchen to do the work. We're not just shipping stuff to franchisees and saying, here, open up the bag and drop it in. So there is work involved. But there's work you could train yourself to do, and we could obviously help you help you do that. And you can get to an expert level on that relatively soon. And the value you get from doing that work pays off tenfold in terms of what you're able to deliver to customers and you know how unique it is, maybe compared to other people who might be saying their food is fresh. Well, put our food from a true scratch kitchen up against quote unquote simply fresh food, you're gonna taste the difference, you're gonna see the difference. And so that's what scratch kitchen means to us. Awesome. So Given that, what does your employee landscape look like for, let's say, a brick and mortar location? Yeah. So, you know, like I say the one variable kind of depends on, you know, how many full time folks you have versus maybe younger folks who are looking for part time hours. But generally speaking, um, you know, probably need about 15 employees per store. Um, you know, you like to have, you know, obviously for franchisees, the question of how much time they're going to be spending in their own store. Um, you know, how many operating partners are there? Are you serving as the GM or assistant manager? Are you hiring managers? But but roughly speaking, in terms of team members, we like to say, um, you know, 15 is a good rough number. You might be able to do a little bit less if, you know, everyone's there full time, a little bit more if you have some more part timers. So, um, you know, you need some people, but you don't need an army uh, to execute what we do. All right. So what I would like to um, touch on now is that you had mentioned technology at one point and where in, I think it was in the event trailer model where the individual can go ahead and put in their order on say like an iPad or something. So what, what is the technology package comprised of? Yeah. So, you know, again, it works back to the principle of you know, we want our franchisees, our operators to be able to focus on operating, right? So we want the technology to work for them uh, and make their lives as easy as possible. And on the flip side, the same thing, you know, what what consumers are demanding right now is 
convenience, right. right? They want to be able to order as simply um, and conveniently, you know, as as anywhere else. And so, from our standpoint, we've invested in best in class technology for every one of those three options that you you talk about. So, for our brick and mortar stores, um, we have top of the line online ordering system. We work with the leading online ordering company and restaurants called Olo. You have another company that has uh, an overlay that does our app. It also makes the Olo interface for online ordering look better. Called Koala. Um, we use Punch, which is you know the leading kind of rewards uh, program in the restaurant space. Um, and so, if you go online and use our uh, our web website or our app to order, um, you're going to see experiences up there with with the biggest brands. Um, and from an operational standpoint, all the orders, whether it's from Uber, DoorDash, our website or app, come straight through the kitchen to a customized kitchen display system. We have a customized point of sale program. All the orders flow to one place, makes it very easy. If you came in tomorrow, you'd be able to make tacos because it tells you exactly what to put on, what the proportions are. So again, it makes it very easy for customers on the on the consumer facing side and from a kitchen system, kitchen side, operating side, makes it very easy to execute. And those are all systems that we've either custom developed or worked with, you know, leading partners to build out our menu and, and then integrate them with the point of sale system. So that's the brick and mortar. As you go to the trailers, um, you know, we have a different point of sale system that's specifically, you know, geared towards trailers, where it still allows for online ordering, um, but it basically allows you to kind of come up. You can choose to take orders yourself, or you can set up kind of a self-service kind of tablet there um, where someone can look at the menu, place their own orders, they put in their phone number, and literally you talk about a trailer where you gotta, you know, you gotta go you know, kind of wait outside. It then texts you when your order's ready. So if you're waiting in your car, you're shopping, you know, next door, you come and get it, right? And if you're at a big festival, right? And uh, you might place an order, it might take a few minutes to come out. Um, you, know, you might go to the, you know, the next trailer down and get get something else while you're waiting for this food. It'll text you when your order is ready. So again, from a customer standpoint, every one of our models allows for the most convenient possible way to order. Um, and from an operator's perspective, it allows you to focus on operating and have the technology work for you. Very nice. So on a last note, let's touch on the unit economics. So we're, we have to tread lightly here. We have to stick with what's in the franchise disclosure document, but uh, pretty impressive unit economics. So what you reflect is a brick and mortar around uh, average revenue is around one point, right about one point, oh, one point almost 1.5 million, correct? And then gross profit of around 600,000. And that's based on 2022 numbers or yeah, it'd be based on 2022 numbers. And then your uh, static trailer is 332,000 in annual revenue and then 115 in pre-tax profits. So those are pretty some, and I mean, the the static trailers, the event trailers, that is purely going to be based upon how much those individuals are working those trailers, right? I mean, that's the hours based upon those is going to be discretionary in those instances where the brick and mortar, you have standard business hours. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the numbers you quoted from FTD or you know, from the FTD, don't let, let those numbers speak for themselves. Um, uh, so the answer is yes. I mean, um, we have standard hours, um, you know, for our brick and mortar 11 to 9. That being said, you know, we believe in also being modular. So, you know, those numbers reflect 11 to 9 operating hours in our in our in our current units. 
But, you know, we're talking right now with franchisees about potentially if someone's like, I'm comfortable, I want to do, can I launch breakfast catering? Can I launch a breakfast program? We have a breakfast menu that's sitting in our POS. Um, from a corporate level, you know, we that we prep a lot in the morning. And so we have a lot going on. We do a lot of off-premises. And so for our corporate stores, we said, you know, we don't know the, the juices work to squeeze there from an operational perspective. But again, franchisees are always looking to, look, looking to push uh, the button. So we're willing to say, we'll work with you. We got a breakfast menu there. You want to extend your hours, you can go for it. We obviously work with you on that. We also can do certain talents are good for late night. So we're testing that on one of our corporate stores now. So the numbers you read reflect, yeah, standard 11 to 9 hours. But there's definitely the potential down the road, I'd say, to both lengthen it in the morning or the afternoon uh, or the evening, sorry, late night. Um, permanent trailers are, are somewhat similar in that, um, you know, there are suggested standard hours, but certainly you could choose to extend them. Obviously, with a trailer that is not a full store, you know, the, the traffic patterns tend to be there. Um, you probably want to close a little bit earlier. There's a little bit of a less, you know, later, not as much of a late dinner rush. That being said, if you turn on third party delivery or in a certain area where there is a lot of late night traffic for some reason, or there might be bars nearby, people are coming out, you might want to extend those hours, right? So the numbers you have there reflect kind of a, an 11 to 7 a setup, but we're happy to work with franchisees to say, hey, I want to extend those hours, work late night, or you think breakfast could work for me? We'll definitely work with them to, to kind of figure that out if that's what they want to test. And then the event trailer, you're exactly right, which is that that is entirely going to be focused on how many, you know, how hard do you go out and, and find events? How do you, how many events do you do? As I said, that could be something where you're doing it full time or you're looking for events every day of the week. You could be going to, you know, serve at a, at a school on a Monday afternoon, then go to an apartment complex and serve maybe only 30 people at night, but that's another, you know, four or $500 in revenue um, and do that five, you know, five nights a week and then do festivals on the weekend. If you could find them and book them where you might say, look, I'm only going to do nights and weekends. And so, the, the event trailer itself is is a lot more flexible. It's built for that flexibility so that you could be as aggressive with it as as you may want or not want to be. But obviously to the extent you're more you're spending more time and doing more events, that's going to mean more revenue and, and profit for you. All right. Well, Josh, my last question for you is when are we going to get a capital tacos in Palm Beach County? <laughs> um no matter when someone asks me that, no matter where, I've said it hopefully sooner rather than later. Um, but we are opening soon in Tamarack, Florida, which is a, a little bit of a drive, uh, but hopefully worth the drive. So we'll, we'll hopefully see you there soon. But that'll be our first South Florida location. So our hope is when we plant flags in different areas, um, you know, really think about it as planting seeds, both from either corporate, but hopefully also a franchisee perspective where folks might come. And now there's a store they can travel to from Palm Beach um, and test it out. So if you're someone who's interested from that area. Uh, you don't necessarily have to tab travel to Tampa or Florida. You can, it is just a drive. You can test it out, see what it's like. And we hope that that's going to kind of help uh, drive interest across all of South Florida. So as I said, hopefully sooner rather than later, but time will tell. Absolutely. Well, Josh, thank you so much for sharing your story and diving into the Capital Tacos franchise opportunity. I'm excited to watch this one grow and I'm I'm sure it will grow quickly. So with that said, for anybody that is interested in learning more about Capital Tacos, please feel free to reach out to me at stacy at fusionfranchising.com. Thanks and have a great day.